0: What is up, guys? So excited to be with you. Welcome back to the Marriage Prep Podcast. This is episode 28 coming at you. And today we have two phenomenal guests. We have Lauren and his wife, Sandra Marks, on here. Both BYU professors, both super incredible people.
1: Yes, Lauren was actually one of my last professors at BYU. I loved his class. We talked about a lot of different things. But one thing that stood out to me was he taught a lot about this research project that he's been heading for the last 20 to 25 years with his research partner. It's called the American Families of Faith Project. So he's a great person to be talking about religion and families, specifically how religion can impact and benefit couples and families. So we dive into that. His wife, Sandra, has a lot of great things to say as well. It's a really awesome episode.
0: Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And just to give you guys some perspective, Lauren, Marks, and Ali and I will, for Tim Lovingly, his brother Marks in this episode, but we... He literally traveled the United States interviewing the best couples he could find and finding out what they did that was so that made them so great. And so there's a lot of great wisdom he has. Sandra dives into a lot of wellness tips and how that finds into how that helps out with marriage and just a really phenomenal episode. So a lot of great nuggets coming at you guys. Make sure you take notes. You're gonna really love this one. See you guys in there. Welcome to the Marriage Prep Podcast. I'm Nathan Hooper.
1: And I'm Allie Hooper. In this podcast, we will give you all the resources that you need to go from dating or engaged to creating a lasting marriage that will bring you more happiness than you ever thought possible.
0: Here, we're going to interview experts and discuss important topics like how to know if your partner is right for you. We will provide you guys a list of questions and conversations that you need to be having to make sure you're both ready for marriage and on the same page.
1: We will even dive deep into topics like sexual intimacy, finances, how to have a fair fight, and a whole lot more to make sure you can step up to that altar with complete confidence.
0: So subscribe now and make sure you guys don't miss any episodes and we'll see you in there.
1: What is up, you guys? Welcome back to our podcast. Today, we've got some really special guests with us, Lauren and Sandra Marks. Lauren and Sandra Marks. So I refer to him as Brother Marks, but he was my professor at BYU, Lauren Marks, and his wife, Sandra. They've been kind enough to invite us into their home, and we're going to be recording this podcast with them. The focus of our podcast episode today is going to be on faith and religion and the role that that plays in families, kind of a follow-up on one of our previous episodes that we've recorded. So to start us off, Lauren and Sandra, can you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves, tell our listeners about how you met, just kind of your story? You can just kind of take the lead on that.
2: Sure. So I'm Sandra Marks, and I'm from Washington State. Lauren and I met at BYU as undergrads. We have five children. We have lived in Utah, Delaware, Maryland border, and then Louisiana for 13 years. And we have been back in Utah for six years where Lauren now teaches at BYU. And I started teaching there as adjunct faculty three years ago. Anything to add, Brother Marks?
3: As Sandra said, I'm an Oregon boy. She's a Washington state girl. Uh, We have lived in all major regions of the country, have loved every place we live and have enjoyed the people wherever we've lived. Different flavor, different, uh, different culture. Glad to be back
0: at BYU. And you guys are both professors at BYU. What do you guys teach? Like, tell us a little bit about kind of what do you guys teach?
2: Yeah, so I'm an instructor and I teach in the Swell department. I teach personal wellness. It's called Wellness for Life. And I also teach volleyball classes, which is kind of just my fun hobby that I love oh, keeping awesome. up with. And I don't know if you want to know any about the Wellness for Life class. Yeah, so, tell, us yeah. It- so tell us
0: about the Wellness for Life it's, class.
2: It's great. Um, it's overall wellness. So we look at six different areas of wellness those would be spiritual health, social health, intellectual health, physical health, emotional health. And we kind of look at how they interact with each other. And if we neglect one area, you actually start to see decrease in health in other areas. Mm. But the reverse is true as well. That if you start working on just one of those six areas, then you see positive growth in the other areas. So we work on the overall balance and just just helps people to be more effective and confident as individuals.
0: That's awesome. That sounds like a class that Everyone should take
3: exactly, <laughs> exactly. that's all I wish I was trying to that. get to that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's so. Cool. And what do you teach, by the pre- I teach in the school of family life and teach uh, primarily marriage and parenting classes, which is a lot of fun. The downside is each day after working, I have to come home and do the take home exam, mm. you know, and yeah, <laughs> some, apply it. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes <laughs> I, I get D's on those exams, um, but we're working on it. It's
0: a work in <laughs> progress. So we have. The dream team here: a wellness professor and a marriage and family professor coming on one podcast. So this is going to be very powerful, very awesome. We're yeah. excited to have you guys.
1: We're so grateful you guys are letting us pick your brains. So I guess the next question that we would ask you guys: tell us a little bit about how you met and your story, and kind of all of that. Okay, Lauren, I want you to take
2: this uh, first lead on this one.
3: The first time I ever met Sandra uh, actually was at church, and she went up and spoke very briefly voluntarily and then as she was coming back to her seat there was a girl sitting all by herself off to the side and naturally intuitively i i saw her coming back down the aisle and she stopped and turned and looked and then went over and sat next to the girl who was sitting all alone and put an arm around her and it was a really simple thing but it uh, it touched me i, I thought that's special there, there was something selfless and kind about that act. I thought, I, I want to meet her. Mm. And so I went up and introduced myself to her after the, the Sunday meeting. And I forgot that I had been hit in the uh, right eye by an elbow playing basketball. And it looked like I was wearing heavy black eyeliner, you know, that I was half yeah. goth or something. And uh, so that was, you know, my first introduction to Sandra looking real good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But I was impressed that he played basketball. So I was maybe interested, but I was actually seeing someone at the time. So I had to kind of put that interest on the back burner, but it only took about a week and my other relationship kind of fizzled out. And Lauren asked me out the first time I had to say no, because I was still dating someone. But as soon as that relationship ended, I asked him if he would still like to go out. So it wasn't more than a week after we first met that we that we did end up going out. So, that's oh, that's in awesome. basketball, we
3: call that grabbing the rebound. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's awesome.
2: That Take is very notes. cool.
1: So, how long have you guys been married for now?
3: We've been married over 26 years. 26 years. Next mm-hmm. anniversary will be 27.
1: Oh my goodness! So definitely, marriage experts from yeah. life and also from your profession. And, so and cool.
0: what was your guys's like dating experience like? How did like how did it progress towards marriage being the right option for you two?
2: Yeah. So what was interesting is Lauren, his family was very religious, and so he grew up with religious practices and and the gospel being taught to him. I was a convert to the church, and so I wanted to have someone who had that background or at least was passionate about their religion and their faith so that I could grow with them and they could kind of help me on that growth pattern. So what's interesting is when we'd only been dating for about three weeks and our spring term ended, we had met during spring term. So we decided that we would go and spend some time with each other where we were from Oregon and Washington. And that was probably the most valuable time that we had in our dating experience because I was able to see Lauren in a family situation. He has six sisters and I got to see how he taught, uh, treated his sisters, which was really important to me. You know, maybe I did want to make sure he wasn't just putting on a good show when he was with me. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, I also saw how he treated his mother and that was really important to me. The, the soft way that he spoke to her was very impressive. And I guess just a genuine, yeah, he, I just noticed that he was really genuine. So what I saw is actually what he was. And that was really important because in the past I had, Dated guys who kind of put that show on at mm. first. And then yeah. you got to know them and realize this is not the same person that you started yeah. dating. So that was really neat. And maybe Lauren, you could talk about your experience meeting my family.
3: Yeah, I'd love to. And for your listeners who are dating, who are uh, thinking about engagement, I think that's that was a really wise decision that we made to spend a week at. Each uh, each place, so that we could see each other in that family context, like Sandra talked about, to get more of a nonfiction preview. Mm. uh, I I think that was an incredibly well invested two weeks of life Mm. for for both of us. For me, as she said, our family backgrounds were really different in some ways, but it gets you a, a great idea not only about how that person behaves in a family context, but how the extended family functions. And every family has its challenges and uh, its strengths and its weaknesses. But at least that way, if things progress to an engagement or marriage state, you have an idea of what to expect. So there are fewer surprises. I just don't see any way that 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 can do anything but good for you long-term, making Mm -hmm. that investment to spend extended time around the extended family of the person you're, you're dating. I love that.
2: I think the other positive part of our dating experience is talking about hard things, talking Mm. about future things. I think too many people wait until after the engagement period or maybe even after they're married to talk about finances and how you view finances or talk about how many kids do you want to have or do you both want to work? Does someone want to work part time? Does someone want to stay home? Those are things that are really important and I think can be a huge stress on a marriage if you don't yeah. address those issues early on.
0: That's huge. What did that look like for you guys? Did you guys just kind of sit down regularly and just kind of talk about it or kind of what was that process like where you guys were diving into some of those deeper topics?
3: For us, we, we took things really slowly from a physical standpoint and there were a lot of conversations and long walks early on. I think that served us really well, gives us a chance to, to talk through the important issues. I also appreciated, Sandra was a great listener. And as you two know, great listeners are hard to come by. I talk slower than John Wayne. And (laughs) uh, so I'm used to being interrupted or cut off or having people fall asleep mid-sentence. And she did a great job of of asking careful, probing questions Mm -hmm. and then really listening to the answers. And I appreciated that quality. She was a little bit more reticent and shy. In fact, early on, I thought, this, uh, this woman might be a little too shy for me, but there was so much depth there mm-hmm. as I got to listen to her talk about what she wanted from life, choices and decisions that she had made. I just, the better I got to know her, the more impressed I was. And I think that's another wonderful guideline or guidepost to, to, to file away for those uh, who are in the dating and mate selection mode. If someone impresses you more across time that's uh that's that's a nice indicator, yeah
1: I love what you said about like taking things slow and your focus was getting to know each other. I think a lot of people these days unfortunately, maybe the focus is just they think they're really good looking or I think they're really funny or nice, and those are great things, but there's life is about so much more, and so being able to have those conversations and learn about each other mm-hmm. and be more and more impressed just set you guys up for such yeah. a great marriage.
0: Oh, I love that you said that kind of getting to know her better and being more and more impressed, there was a good indicator for you. Were there any other positive indicators that you noticed throughout the dating process that kind of led to like marriage is the next step for us? Like what other indicators were there besides continually being more impressed with each other?
2: For me, I think knowing that he had some of the same goals and those his actions showed that he was working towards those goals continually. He was okay having faith-based conversations because I was still learning about our faith and I wanted to like know more. And he lived those principles that he talked about. I saw truth, a lot of honesty there. And those are things that you want to have in a marriage. And he was willing to listen to me also. He talks about me being a good listener, but I felt the same way about him. And so I think that kind of tells a lot about yeah. someone that you're dating. If, if they're going to listen to you as much as you listen to them mm. and I think forgiveness was also a big part. Like Mm. if we did upset each other, which didn't happen very often, we were willing to listen and to hear what the background was. And maybe uh, we were misunderstood and that was really important. Yeah, that's cool.
1: It sounds like you guys were like practicing marriage. I think honestly, that's what dating is, right? Because marriage is living with someone and being their partner and being their spouse and going through the hard parts of life and the good parts of life. And forgiving each other, and listening, and learning from each other, and growing together. And I think that's kind of what dating is. And it sounds like you—that's exactly what you both did. And and you're excited about getting to know each other and figuring out if marriage was right. So that's something that for our listeners to think about when you're dating: is you're practicing how to be married together yeah. in a way, right? Like you're you're learning about each other and you're seeing if it's a good fit. Yeah.
0: You know, I've definitely seen a lot of themes in the couples you interviewed that you know have really good, strong relationships and they sound a lot like like your guys' where it wasn't so focused on the physical at first. You know, It was a lot of just getting to know each other on a deeper level, talking about these important topics, not just like the surface level stuff, not just having fun, which obviously those things are very important, not going to discount that, but getting deeper, you even having some disagreements and kind of seeing how each other are, getting to know their family and just kind of just seeing all aspects of life. And I think that's just, just so big. So I love, it's just a perfect example of that. And I feel like you guys have, both talked about faith a lot. And that's something we want to kind of dive into this episode is like, how does faith really help and strengthen marriages? That's kind of the next thing we
3: want to jump into.
1: Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah. If I could jump in for a minute, I want to share share a story with with you too and with your listeners about our very first date on on the faith and, and marriage note. We went on our first date, and something that was really important to me was having someone who was committed to faith. As you know, there are some people who are involved in faith primarily for a social a social reason. Maybe it's for appearances. Maybe it's just because there are good friends there, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I wanted someone who is committed to faith for the the sake of faith, uh, who is not what you might call a fair weather fan, mm. so to speak. And on our first uh, our first date, as I mentioned, Sandra was really really shy and quiet. And I, I was thinking this will probably be it. This will probably be yet another one date wonder. And near the end, I said, I assume that, uh, you know, you're raised in a religious family. And she said, no, actually I, I was not. My parents were really good people, but not church attenders. And I said, really? Well, will you tell me a little bit about your story? And she said, well, when I was about nine years old, my grandma who had been divorced remarried a man who'd lost his his wife to death, and she invited me to church with her and I went and I loved it and then I attended church on my own for nine years, and my dad wanted me to wait till I was eighteen years old to be baptized, which it certainly is understandable and she said, so that's my story that's one of the most remarkable. Two or three sentence stories I've ever heard about faith. A nine year old girl grabbing a hold of faith and doing it on, on her own, so to speak. And, and she did have some support, but uh, largely she, she put her hand in God's and did that, that walk very much on her own. Knocked my socks off. So mm. there was a second date after all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is so awesome. Oh, wow. So let's see. So, I guess to follow up with that, Sandra, I have a question for you. So, so you were you obviously a convert. How, I guess, how has your faith blessed your life and your marriage going forward? What, what are your thoughts on
2: that? Yeah, thanks for asking. So, when I started going to church when I was young, I think it was just kind of fun and a way to be with my grandma at the beginning. But as I started maturing, I started actually observing other families at church, and I knew that there was something different in those families that I didn't have in my own family at home. And so I kind of made it a mission to figure out what was different. What did they have that my family didn't? Some of the things that I think I noticed as I matured and got older is they really practiced like the principle of forgiveness. And in my family, I think we did that, but it wasn't on such a Christ like note. There was a lot of maybe, I think that they held a grudge for mm. a long time. Yeah. And I would notice that that they wouldn't fully forgive. Um, my mom was a really good example of charity, but I noticed that it was actually taught at church. And so that's something that I wanted to carry on with my children and to give them opportunities to serve other people. So my mom would serve, but I didn't necessarily, as a family, have an opportunity to serve. And so I noticed that those families were serving as families as I older and went up to college, I realized that these I didn't know this. I was kind of a shock to understand that in the homes they actually read scriptures as a family or they prayed together as a family. And I think when you're praying for your family members in front of your family members, it's humbling and you also feel just so much love. And that's something I never had growing up. So we never prayed in my home. And that's something that I didn't realize I was missing until I started doing that with my own family after we got married. And then I also think that in our faith, we believe that families can be together forever. And so when you're making choices and decisions on a daily basis, you're not just affecting yourself, but you're, in a sense, affecting your eternal family. Mm-hmm. And that's a different perspective that I don't think my my parents ever thought of. I think they were, everything was temporal and very temporary. And that's something that I, I just really wanted to make sure that my kids had a part of. Um, yeah. In their so, lives. that's yeah. so cool. And Brother Marks,
1: you talked a lot about in our class, just shared briefly about your family. Tell us about, I guess, your upbringing and that the faith that was, that was I guess, shown to you by your parents and how that's impacted you and how you've carried that on with your family now. Does that make sense?
3: Yes. Uh, no family's perfect, but in a lot of ways, I do feel like I, I won the parenting lottery we we didn't have a lot financially but in terms of of some things that matter a great deal i think i was very very privileged my parents loved each other deeply they were people of faith and they lived that we have close relationships again not perfect but close relationships and to this day my my mom is my hero i've never met anyone who who embodies Christ-like love better than, than she does. And some of what drew me to Sandra was seeing some of those same qualities of excellence in her. We had a a big family, eight kids, uh, six sisters and one brother. I semi-jokingly say to people, I'm told we had a bathroom in our house, but I never actually saw the inside of it, (laughs) but it was a good way to grow up. We had our challenges but uh i think that there was a lot of love and each summer our family now an extended family rents a big old boy scout camp out in rural oregon and crashes in cabins for a few days and so in perfection no but my parents tried hard to do uh to do right by us and i'm deeply indebted to them in terms of our our own kids uh we of course have made our own mistakes but uh love the five kids that we we have. We have had about 20 plus or minus non-biological kids live with us at different points for different periods of time, in, including a couple that you may hear in the background from time to time right now. <laughs> and I, I think that that, that influence um, it is partly from my parents who had a, a really open home and a welcoming home, but largely due to Sandra to her openness and her desire to to always have a a kitchen, a home that was open to those that that need it. Mm-hmm. And I have greatly appreciated that as my best friend and and wife and life partner, those kind of decisions. You better be all in together or they're gonna cause an awful lot of stress and strain. Yeah. No, I love that. I love
0: hearing about you guys' kind of upbringings and it's all come together and and a question that's been on my mind sandra with your kind of and i kind of switching gears into how spirituality and faith really impacts marriages and like kind of the the benefit of that and thinking about your wellness class and how you know there's these six areas of wellness and they all like if you focus on one all kind of benefits the others i guess thinking about marriage in that sense of like a marriage wellness where does that slice of spirituality and faith come in and how does that like impact the other areas of marriage if that makes sense
2: yeah, that's a good question. So I think when you're working on your spirituality, um, now that is both maybe going to church, having a faith and a higher power, but that's also includes spending time in nature or spending time just meditating and in peaceful places. And if you can do that with your spouse or with your kids, maybe on mother-daughter dates or whatever, and you're both feeling a place of peace, it allows room for conversation and to get to know each other, it's a safe place and there's a trust built there. And so when you have that trust and then it also allows for conversations, deeper conversations, our our kids have asked us, you know, anywhere from where babies come from or how they come out to, you know, dating advice. And I think it just really allows that trust. And then when you have that trust. It's going to spill over into other areas and they're going to feel comfortable in any of their area of wellness to talk to you and and want to do those things with you or to ask advice.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So just essentially that's like that spirituality building that is going to build that trust and relationship with each other that's going to help all other areas. I think that's powerful. That's cool.
1: That's really cool. Yeah, thank you guys so much for sharing. I've I've loved hearing about your backgrounds and I think it's it's remarkable that you both have such wonderful gifts spiritually and just in general and that you're able to mesh those together and create a beautiful life. I've loved hearing throughout the the past semester that I had with you brother Marks about the people you've been able to positively bless by having them in your home and and just the impact you've had because of your faith and your shared faith and your shared desires to be better. So I really I really appreciate that example. To shift gears a little bit, I we'd like to talk a little bit about Brother Mark's had what, what's called the American Families of Faith Project. Can you tell, tell our listeners a little bit about what that is and yeah, just share a little bit more about that and kind of some of the lessons that you learned from that?
3: Love to. So for the past 20 years of professional life, uh, from 2001 till here we are in 2022, with uh, my research partner, Dave Dollaheit, we have worked hard to interview 300 of the strongest families that we could find in America. Wives and husbands typically who'd been married for 20 years or more and were identified in many cases by their clergy as, as the strongest marriages in their respective congregation. Rabbi, priest, imam, bishop, pastor, minister, saying the Johnsons are the best family we we have, the best model of respectful marriage of trying to live out the ideals of the faith. And then we sit down and interview those families for a couple of hours, sometimes much longer, but about two, two and a half hours on average, and ask them, how did you do it? How in a world that tends to pull people apart, were you able to to build together a marriage that is loving, warm, flourishing? And then we have the opportunity to look through And try to find things that come up again and again in those interviews across races, across regions of the country, across religions, and then go and share those primarily with emerging adults, uh, young adults who are not married or who are pretty newly married in the hopes that we can learn wisdom from those who've done marriage and family life particularly well. Yeah, well, I mean... That's, that sounds exactly what, what we need to hear. What were some of
0: those, I mean, what were some of the biggest lessons that you take away? What, what would those emerging couples that we're talking about that are likely listening to this, what, what do they need to know from your study? What, what were some of the
3: biggest takeaways? That's a really dangerous question to ask a researcher, <laughs> you know, unless you've got a day or so of spare time, but I appreciate the question. I, I think one of the really important things to know for individuals early on who are in the mate selection process or early on in marriage is that a significant number, the portion we estimate is about one quarter of the, the wives and husbands that we interviewed said without us asking, if it were not for our shared faith in God, we would have divorced early on. We would not have made it. Remembering that we didn't even ask had we asked, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the percentage would have doubled or nearly doubled to up about 50%. And we're not just talking about any marriages here. We're talking about individuals who, as I mentioned a minute ago, have built marriages that are models in their faith community. Again, not perfect, but very, very strong. And uh, for for couples in that in that position of strength to say we would not have made it without God, it was hard. It was hard for a year, two years, three years, seven years for us to figure out how to turn two me's into one. We, I think is really important for young women and young men to hear, to know this is going to be a steep uphill climb together. Know that it's going to require some work, some effort, some patience with yourself, some patience with your partner. Uh, so I think the first thing is have some realistic expectations and be ready for some elbow grease.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. I think the, the beginning of any marriage is tough enough, but having that that wonderful tool of faith, of shared faith is like, it's so critical and it's so helpful for a new marriage.
0: Yeah, that's 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 golden. And I want to know, learn from both of you guys, maybe from your research and just kind of your opinion as well. Why do you feel like spirituality or faith why would these couples say that that's kind of like their their maybe their cornerstone like that's like such a pivotal thing for them it was their faith kind of helped them have it. why like why would faith help a married
3: couple uh sandra said my research first uh in this case i'd rather hear about sandra's take on real life first (laughs) because she yeah she's 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 the cornerstone we jokingly say there's a bible verse you know you build your house on a sandy foundation, that's (laughs) foolish. It's going to wash away, but we've got a sandy foundation, a Sandra foundation in our home, and it's, it's worked pretty well.
2: (laughs) Well, I've actually had the opportunity to read some of Lauren's work that has come through this project that he's worked on for over 25 years. And some of the themes that he, he and his researchers have found among these families of different faiths. One is forgiveness i think we talked about that before i think so many people something hard happens or something there's a disagreement and you know they don't use forgiveness and then there's a huge gap that just keeps on getting bigger and bigger but with forgiveness you can get rid of that gap and you kind of have a fresh start right and you're also trusting that the other person really does have your best interests at heart and that you're not purposely trying to hurt each other now there's exceptions to that rule of course and we don't have to talk about those but the other one a theme that I saw was charity if you serve the other person you're not being selfish you're thinking of the other person I think too many people think what makes me happy what helps me to feel good instead of you know what mm-hmm. helps my spouse feel better what helps my kids feel better you know how can I serve them and when you're serving someone it's hard to be mad at them right yeah. so those are two of the big themes I have seen through Lauren's research that really impacted me and wanted made me want to live yeah. those principles more.
0: And that like by attending church, by being faithful, you're naturally going to learn more about being forgiving and, and charity and serving others. That's kind of a, a byproduct of that.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think there's any principle that's more important than forgiveness and repentance. They're two sides of the same coin in, in many ways. One of my favorite statements on forgiveness is from a man named Robert Quillen, who said a, uh, a good marriage is the union of two good forgivers. And you get to live that out daily as wife and husband, little things that irritate you, trying to nip those in the bud and keep them from becoming big things. I've seen over and over in the most mature marriages where we've interviewed, again, something that Sandra raised about charity, about care for, for others. I think that a service-oriented mindset It's a way of life. And at some point it becomes not just what you do, but who you are. And many of uh, the women and the men that we interviewed at some point would talk about an admiration that they have for the way that their spouse serves others. And I will will say to you that that's another level of unselfishness, right? I, I mean, moving a domain where you think about your partner and her needs before you think about your own is admirable and commendable. But being willing to be unselfish enough to not or to, to loan, so to speak, your your wife or your husband to serve others who may even be outside of your family is an additional step. And to be personal for just a minute, one of the great joys that I've experienced in my life and in my marriage, include things like a 93-year-old lady named Opal that Sandra cared for 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 the last two or three years of her life and Opal loved Sandra for reasons all her own I didn't know Opal well but every time I saw her she just wanted to tell me how wonderful my wife was and I felt like we had this shared secret you know the this shared secret about this this beautiful wonderful person and I, I, I don't know how to, to convey the reality that for these families, it wasn't just that they had learned how to serve their partner. It wasn't just that they had learned how to serve their children, but they had gained a service orientation to life that was beautiful and that was contagious. Their marriages blessed their faith communities. Their marriages blessed their, their neighbors, their local communities. They, they had built a marriage that was bigger than the wife and the husband greater than the, the sum of its parts.
2: We had a motto early on that we had printed out one time and it was, I guess it was on a bookmark and it said, you lift me, I'll lift you and together we'll ascend. And I think that's really fitting to what Lauren just said. If we support each other in our endeavors, in our hopes, our dreams spiritually um, with our faith-based activities, it's not only gonna help them, but we're gonna both lift at the same time and we're gonna be closer together in our relationship but also closer to god and in our other relationships outside our marriage. Yeah. I love that. I think
1: that having a shared faith, like none of us are perfect, we're always
2: trying to improve.
1: And so being able to have that that goal in common of becoming more like christ or whoever whatever religion that you practice, becoming better every day together, it's it it gives you like a common cause, right? And and that is such a bonding experience. So thank you so much for sharing yeah. that. I really yeah. appreciate that.
0: The question that's been on my mind for you guys and kind of what I want to learn from is, and I'm hopefully I'm going to say this right, but do you feel like these couples that maybe that you interviewed or that you guys have met in your lives or you guys yourselves, like do you feel like you can get those benefits from religion and faith through just being spiritual or do you feel like a lot of it comes from an organized religion? If that makes sense, like spirituality versus religion or being religious, like can you get the benefits from both or do you feel like a religion plays a big, like a bigger part of that?
3: It's a really interesting question. Uh, Sandra, do you have any thoughts from kind of a wellness standpoint?
2: So I do. The, the first class I ever taught was right after COVID hit. And so my classes had to go online and we did Zoom. And I had my students say things to me like, this class has saved my life because they had no interaction with other people. I made my class very interactive, even though it was online we still had to share personal things with each other and I would put them into groups and they had to share how their goals were going. And it was very interactive and they got to know each other's name. Where their other classes, it was never a personal thing. It was just a lecture basically. And I asked them, I said, so how, how do you think this affects other areas of your life? You know, do you, do you think you're okay just on your own? And probably over 75% of them said, no, I need people more than I thought I did. They need that social support, the social network, even if it's just someone to give them a pat on the back or if it's a confidence that they need, they need this to have people. And I think going to church gives you that sense of belonging that you don't just have at home on your own.
3: Thank you. I think that the research from a, a, a standpoint of science, there are still some unanswered questions. What, what we do know is that meditation is powerful intentional mantra meditation pausing in our hurry up world to breathe deeply uh, it it helps the heart it helps uh, emotionally and psychologically there's burgeoning research on yoga that indicates benefits in different domains that Sandra mentioned physical mental psychological with with all that said we do have significant research on the on the side of structured religion and that includes national data sets that show things like a 7.6 year increase in longevity among individuals who attend worship services weekly over those who never attend many of whom would identify as spiritual but not religious interestingly that that longevity increase almost doubles among black Americans to 13.7 years. That's one of the most striking social science or medical science findings I've ever seen. Almost a 14-year difference for those who attend weekly versus never attend. So I think that Sandra is right and her students have touched on something. There is something about social structure that lifts us, that strengthens us, even above and beyond more spiritual, and and meditative approaches, which I highly value, by the way, but there is value added when we come together as sisters and brothers in the human family, particularly when our focus is on the sacred and on looking for opportunities to serve one another.
2: I use some of Lauren's research in my spiritual health unit in my class. A couple of things that I share with the students are those families who have a same faith-based family life, they are more likely to, to stay together. So they, they don't end in divorce as often they do sometimes. Right. And the other one that was really interesting to me is when there's a trial, like say addiction, they are able to go through a program and be successful in kicking that addiction more. And I think that comes because there's a social network there. There's a faith-based network. They know that people are praying for them. And they they have people to call on when they do feel weak. And there's other addictions too that have been shown that if they have a faith-based relationship with their family or with their spouse, they're able to beat these different hardships that come along. I love that. I think
1: that's really helpful. Just to think about like the power of a community, of a faith community and spirituality is great, but so is having a place that you can worship together. I I totally agree with that. I love that.
0: The one of my questions... Goes to like if there's someone listening out there who's just like maybe their relationship with God has been damaged or they just don't feel like religion is for them, but they want to have these benefits of like oh you know want to be more forgiving, want to be more charitable, want to have this service mindset, like all these wonderful things that kind of come that can come from being faithful. Like, what would you say to that person who maybe is struggling with like their faith, their spirituality, but still wants to have some of these benefits in their life and their in their future marriage? It's a really good question.
2: Since I grew up with a family who who was not religious, I was able to see how they were growing up and they did practice some of these principles, especially that of charity, of love. You know, I never felt unloved from my parents, but there is a power when you're around others that have those same goals or maybe the the principles that you want to live but you're not really strong with right now. When you're around people that are living those principles that maybe are using prayer or they are using more charity or service, if you're with those people, it's going to rub off on you. I mean, anything good is going to rub off on you, right? So I would say surround yourself with people who are living those principles, even if you're struggling yourself. And maybe they'll be able to help you and support you. And like I said, you're going to want to have what they have that you are still trying to find, but don't give up. Do the best you can. And I think That that means a lot. That effort that you put into to having those principles of forgiveness, charity, love, selflessness—those are powerful, and it's eventually going to come together.
3: Surprises me that I've been able to talk for a little while along with Sandra without either one of us using a sports analogy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think we've run dry now. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, Both of us love basketball, and. If you want to become an an excellent basketball player, there's no substitution for taking thousands and thousands of shots typically by yourself on a concrete driveway in a wood gym over and over and over again. But if you want to truly become a great player, you have to play with other great players. There is no shortcut that, that I've come across. You've got to Bump into other people. You've got to to learn how to navigate and negotiate on a course or on a court um, to play offense and play defense and and to learn how to interact. I see in some ways, some connections with spirituality, personal spirituality and organized religion. Uh, There is something about coming together that's not uh, easily duplicated in any other context. We have argued in our research that uh, the sociologist Robert Putnam wrote a book uh, about 20 years ago called Bowling Alone, where he emphasized that increasingly we become individualistic in American society. And where in the 50s and 60s, for example, there were bowling leagues, now a lot of bowling is done alone or just one or two people, and it's not the same activity. To again move from sports to to the domain of religion, one of the wonderful benefits of religion, structured religion, is not just that it puts you in social contact with other people in a structured, repeated way, but that it does so across multiple generations. And there is almost no remaining context in American life where the two of you could go and see a happily married couple in their 80s one in their sixties, one in their forties, one in their twenties, and get to build a personal relationship with each one of them and to learn how to do that. One of the things our faith community has provided for us, and we've done this not really intentionally, it's happened naturally and organically wherever we've moved. It seems like we, we make some close friends that are 10 years ahead of us. 15 years ahead of us, in addition to those in our own peer group, because it gives us a sneak preview of what's coming next. What will our kids be facing? What are the big decisions on the horizon? And again, as focused as you might be, as meditative as you might be, there there are some unique value-added dimensions to religiosity. It's not my intent to cram religiosity around anyone's down anyone's throat. But I don't know of a reasonable alternative. And Nathan, it's a great question. I've been asked it for years and years. You've got to give me an alternative. I don't want to go to church. You've got to give me another alternative. I can't. If any listener does, contact Nathan and Allie and, and let me know because we haven't been able to find another one that does the same job the same way or that adds 7.6 years of life expectancy for, for women and men.
2: What's interesting is we all have different life experiences and we've talked about how going to church or going to a faith community gives us support, but sometimes it works just the same in reverse. Sometimes we need to be there because our experience will help somebody else. And you never know unless you go and you try. So sometimes you're the one that, that needs that, kind of a little bit of spiritual nourishment, but sometimes you're the one that can share an experience and help someone else not feel alone. And that's what I love about the faith community is I think Lauren said, we make friends 10 years older and in, in our peer group, but I think we're now becoming the, the older people who we make friends with the, the 10 year <laughs> younger group. And it's, it's nice to be on that end now. They ask us about our experiences because we're in an older stage of life now. And some of us have experienced death. Some of us have experienced illness or injury or like you said a lack of faith or we're just not quite where we want to be and those people there can can help us they can nourish us
1: I love that I just think if you're listening and you're in that position it's just worth considering like figuring out what it is that you need to do to get back if you've ever gone to church and if you haven't maybe just consider trying it because there are clearly so many remarkable benefits that you could receive but I love what you said Sandra maybe there's someone who needs you as well. And it's just, there's just a beautiful sense of community that can be found. And even if you're maybe not quite where you want to be when you're re- with your relationship with God, start by just going and who knows what could happen after that. I love that.
0: And we should probably get wrapping up. This has been so helpful. Like I loved this this conversation with you guys. It's been just, it's just awesome. So I hope you guys have been taking notes and really paying attention. My last question for you guys, one that we'll, you know, ask most of our listeners, but most of our guests is what's like your last piece of advice you'd give to like these new, newlywed couples, these dating couples? Maybe they're, you know, it's the last time you're going to see a student in your class, like, and they come up to you and they ask you, I'm going to get married or I want to get married. What's your one piece of advice you'd give to that student?
2: If you're in the dating stage, I would say pay attention to the red flags. If there's any kind of bad feeling that you have with that person or you don't feel like you can be your, self or your best self with them, I think that's a really good indicator that it's time to, to find someone else to date. But on the reverse, if you're with somebody and you just always feel happy and you feel like they value you and you value them in, in return, I think that's a good, a good place to start. But definitely have those hard conversations before you get to the, you know, pre-once stage and make sure that you have similar goals and you have a similar life goals and faith goals with with that person. Yeah. Maybe you could talk about the the marriage stage, Lauren.
3: It is really difficult to to pick one thing. I think one wonderful note of assurance is as much as you love that that wife or husband, that potential wife or husband, our heavenly father loves them more as much as your marriage or future marriage will matter to you it matters to him more he desires uh, the success of his children he he desires to help you create a beautiful home and he wants to be a partner in your marriage so let him let him in let him be there in in all of your decisions uh, w- with that said <laughs> i have I've been asked, do you believe that love is a daily decision? And to that, I think that I would respond as somebody married 26 years and and counting to an amazing woman, I would say, love is a thousand times a day decision. And, And what I mean by that is every exchange that you have, do you need to win that argument? Would you rather fight to be right or be wrong and get along? Is your pride really worth more than the relationship? How can you lighten the load of that person? Uh, How how can you show them love in ways that make it all the way to their heart? How can you find ways to serve together, to lift others in ways that make your marriage matter? So I I would say, on one hand, the choice of a mate is the most important single decision that we make that I don't even know what number two is. It is a huge, huge decision. But after you've made that decision, you've made that covenant, you've made that commitment, make a, make a new commitment every day that you're going to try constantly to make the loving choice. It'll it'll happen over and over. And I love what Sandra said. Finding someone who makes you want to be your best self. You can see why it's so easy to love her.
2: Another quote that we've had framed and printed in our house is the scriptural quote, perfect love casteth out fear. And it doesn't say perfect people casteth out fear, but you can have a perfect love. And I think we've taught uh, some of those principles today. And that love is what is going to get you through, you know, the hard, unexpected times that come in marriage. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't, re- I don't really know what to say after that. That was so awesome. But hopefully, anyone who's listening got a lot out of it. I know I did. Thank you guys so much. We really, really appreciate all your wisdom, and we've really enjoyed.
0: Thanks
3: so much.